You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 194 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on December 9th. And wow, we're getting really close to 200, Raj. You know what? Had it not been for the couple of episodes that we missed, we would have hit it before the year's end. I'm not pointing blame saying it's all your fault, but it yeah. kind of is a little bit. <laughs> so at what point are we going to start planning for that 200th episode? <laughs> There's planning involved? <laughs> Jesus. I haven't figured out what we're doing next week. That's par for the course for us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on the good news, we do know what we're doing this week, which, let's be honest, that's actually a <laughs> good thing for us. Figured uh, we'd take a look at some of the new DC stuff that had come out within the last uh, couple of weeks, starting off with uh, Gotham by Midnight, which you had mentioned in your What We're Reading last week, but didn't really say much about it because I hadn't read it yet, and I finally did read it. And you're right. I did really enjoy it uh written by ray fox all the art by ben templesmith and you, you weren't kidding the art in this issue is just fantastic did you see a lot of hellboy when you were reading this like get that same feel well you can't kind of can't help that given the, the just the general concept right, it's of just i didn't know if it was just me or if that was uh, the the, the art didn't strike me as very Hellboy, though. Oh, no, not at all. Oh, but, okay. Uh, no, the, I mean the writing. It's just that whole, you know, uh, magical mixed in with religion and supernatural kind of feel to it, vibe, and very serious and dark as well, so you can't help but think Hellboy. But it's not – it didn't ever feel like it was trying to be that, to be Hellboy or to, to, to copy that kind of style. It just – that's just – what you happen to, to kind of compare to to a certain degree. But I, on its own, I thought it stood really strong. Yeah, because we've seen so many other comics over the years try to go this route. You know, the, the super serious supernatural comic that for whatever reason they just can't quite pull it off. But yeah, Gotham by Midnight, I mean, through the first issue at least, has absolutely nailed it, making it, you know, grounding it in that reality and then just – freaking you the hell out by the end of the issue yep, yep. <laughs> uh, our story here starts off with uh sergeant rock rock rook i typoed that in my notes sergeant rook from gotham police department uh internal affairs who is investigating the detailed case task force uh, aka the midnight shift this is a special uh team that has been set up by commissioner gordon back when he was commissioner given their own budget given no oversight, and now that Gordon's out of control over at, at Gotham PD, they're like, okay, well, we need to figure out what's up with these guys because they're pretty sure they're full of crap and they're just stealing money. So they send Rook over to investigate the team, uh, headed up by Lieutenant Weaver. Our two lead detectives are Drake and Jim Corrigan, or Lisa Drake and Jim Corrigan, and then they have uh, two – I completely forgot the word – two other people. <laughs> Dr. Sandor Tarr, who is their forensic expert and Sister Justine, an actual nun. And for those uh, keeping score at home, Jim Corrigan also kind of happens to be the specter. <laughs> so they are coming at this from all angles, both 
supernatural and regular police. And it's it's the blending of those two things that really make this comic work. Yeah. You were talking about the art earlier and I uh, I had to check it just to make sure because the name sounded so familiar as did the style. But this is the guy who wrote and did the art for the squitter that I talked about not that long ago, remember? <laughs> and it's like the art was cool, but the story was – there was issues that I had problems with it. But it goes to show yet again when you pair up that art and writer and it's a good pairing – it's amazing. It just works so bloody well. And here it does. It, like you were saying, I don't want to spend too much time going back to it, but yeah. The um, the story, what I liked immediately too, is that Ray sets up the, the team almost right away. You, I mean, you, you get a little bit of information as the issue goes on to give you more details. But he cements it right away. Batman is in for like a few panels. That's it to show that yet again, it doesn't a series in Gotham doesn't have to solely rotate around the bat and the characters are strong enough that you care for them almost immediately. Even though there's some cliches, it still is strong enough in the relationships between them all that they're an established team in your mind and it makes sense and it works. Mm-hmm. And so the case itself involves a kidnapping, and it's kind of odd for them to be investigating this kidnapping to begin with since the victims are safe and sound at home. <laughs> but they, they realize something's wrong here. Yeah, I don't know about so, sound. Well, yeah. They're safe well, as, at home. As far as Gotham police is concerned, they're safe and sound at home. So that's why they have to come in and reinvestigate the case because clearly there's something wrong here with these two Freaky, creepy little girls talking in some forgotten language. And it's just the way the story was paced and told that through the first half of the comic, despite the fact that they're telling you these guys are all supernatural and weird, the actual case is perfectly cut and dry. Like, And then within those last several pages, it just goes so completely off the rails in a good way that it really grabs you, really draws you in and have to read the second issue when the girls start going ballistic at the end (laughs) and it's like i (laughs) you know the cop the female cop stays there and she's trying to corral and i'm thinking i would be the one hobbling towards the door screw this (laughs) fingers up in the air nope nope (laughs) It it was definitely a great ride definitely check it out yep What's cool about these first two comics is that they're really kind of spitting out of uh, what we've seen in Batman Eternal, that a lot of what's been going on in that miniseries is you know, trickling into the regular monthly series where I haven't been reading Batman Eternal regularly, but I've been keeping up with it, just uh, you know, reading the synopsises and whatnot, synopses, synopses. And just so I can know what's going on in the, in the Batman. But there's just – these weekly comics are too much for me. I got into this a couple weeks ago. No, no need to go back to it. But uh, Jim Corrigan as the Spectre was involved with investigating some stuff going on at Arkham Asylum. And he was actually there when the entirety of Arkham Asylum literally got sucked into a pit of hell. <laughs> so Arkham Asylum is no more, which leads us into our next comic, Arkham Manor. Written by Jerry Dugan, art by Sean Crystal and Dave McCaig. And this is where Gotham realizes, well, Arkham Arkham Asylum's gone. We need to put all these crazy people somewhere. Uh, In addition to that, stuff that went down in Batman Eternal means that 
the Wayne's yeah, Bruce Wayne has kind of ruined the, uh, the company's shut down. He's lost a lot of his fortune and a lot of his uh, power within Gotham. So they use eminent domain to take over Wayne Manor and turn it into the new Arkham Manor. What did you think of this one, Raj? Okay, I'm like you, although even less, I have really not been keeping up with Eternal at all. I haven't. Because it's like you said, I mean, we're already reading enough. And when you're looking at these weeklies as well, there's only so many of these we can we can pick up. And it's like, it gets to be too much. So I haven't been even keeping up with what's going on. I had no idea he lost all the money. Which, I mean, it, it struck me as kind of a, that's what they're doing in the Arrow right now. Mm-hmm. But in the Arrow, it makes sense. The TV show, I mean, of course. Of course, the, although there's the weekly for that too. I think it's weekly. Um, it it kind of makes sense because Ollie just kind of screws around and he's not there for the business and, and yada, yada, yada. But Bruce has had this going on for how long now? So I'm going to have to read what would prompt that now all of a sudden things go nuts and he loses everything. Because it, having not read it, of course, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit continuity very well. Well... Uh, just from what I, I gathered from like the little snippets I picked up, uh, the big villain throughout Batman Eternal is Hush, who came back. And, you know, Hush is one of the few people who knows, you know, Bruce Wayne and all that. And basically he's gone around and found like all of Batman's secret armory caches throughout the city and started blowing them up. So now that, you know, they know that Bruce Wayne funds Batman and a lot of it is Wayne tech that's responsible for destruction of several city blocks in Gotham that they basically just shut down the company okay all right uh, i will read it uh, of course i got to at this point now just to see what the hell is going on um this was a toss-up because i i do like when they change things up mm-hmm. however there's also some things that are just there's a certain amount of comfort in knowing that some things never change yeah and everything Wayne manner should be way manner yeah and there's you know it's Everything else about the character is in turmoil, but Wayne Manor and, and uh, yeah, there's been other things going on there as well. But you know what I mean? There's still that solid base for the character and for Alfred and everything else, which now is not there. And I I'm really sure, like the scene with Alfred in, in the first issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's strong though, because and it's that that other side of me that likes change that likes putting characters in difficult situations even like a domestic situation like this for him um i really like that so i i'm kind of torn and in one way i enjoy it and in another way i'm kind of a little hesitant about just how much i want to let myself enjoy it well, as long as the building is still there we can assume he'll go home eventually yeah yeah it's it's it'll have to be retcon at some point where he gets it all back, obviously. But until then, hey, it's a fun ride. Mm-hmm. What about the story itself? Because the concept I'm, I'm actually kind of cool with, I hope at some point, just like we've seen with uh, the other like side Batman stories, they actually take the Batman out of this. Because there's only so much you can do of Bruce Wayne goes undercover in Arkham Asylum. I, I, I think that you you leave him there for the first story arc maybe, and then kind of leave the story itself to the actual Arkham characters because I don't want it just to be another Batman story. I'm all right with it being another Batman story, but 
but yeah, the the undercover thing has to stop. Yeah, like where where else can you go after the like he's not going to be undercover in Arkham forever. Yeah, and we've seen that too many times already. Uh, we've played that. I mean, we, we've it's, <laughs> it's just we know what that is. So come on, enough's enough with that. I don't because it's been done so much. I don't feel there's as much tension in reading that as perhaps mm-hmm. they think is there, because it's yeah, it, not. Yeah, you know he's going to get out. <laughs> not he's just back. yeah, like whenever he's kind of knocked over the head, kind of thing. You're like, eh, you know, he he lives for concussions. <laughs> That's his go-to thing. <laughs> so I there's again there's not as much tension, but if they can work the angle of all of this takes place in Wayne Manor and make Wayne Manor a character in these stories, which is kind of what they do a little bit here and have those memories be important, have the rooms that things happen in be important towards the story development and all of these things, then this could win in a way that other series have not been able to do. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry Dugan's a, a very good writer. You know, I liked what he's doing on Deadpool. The stuff he's been doing on Nova has been fantastic. So I'm sure he has good plans for here. We don't know what they are, but I think it could be a really solid comic depending on what they do after this initial story arc. I agree. And then as an, a, a nice little uh, aside here, have have you read the uh, latest uh, Gotham Academy? No. All right. Well, uh, we finally found out what's kind of what's going on with Olive, like why she's been so distant is because something happened over the summer with her mother. Well, we see her mother in issue two, Sybil Silverlock, Calamity, like the one that he walks by and like she's in a coma now, but if she ever wakes up, she could be the most dangerous person here hmm. because it's Olive Silverlock is her yeah. full name. Yeah. So I, I, I just like the, that little bit, you know, they're not shoving it in your face, but they're like, there's when, when the comics play off each other like that, it's yeah. not, it's not obvious, but for someone who's been enjoying both comics, it's a nice little touch. I agree. And then that leads us into Secret Six. Not Batman related, but doesn't matter. Written by Gail Simone, art by Ken Lashley, Drew Garassi, and Jason Wright. I absolutely adored the original run on Secret Six. Uh, it was still written by Gail Simone, and it ran for a good amount of time, a couple of years before they uh, canceled it with the whole New 52 reboot. It was just a fun comic of essentially a bunch of like C-list villains thrown together specifically because they were expected to fail. And the fun in the comic was seeing them come through and form a team and form bonds. Like It was really character-focused, really enjoyable. I actually really loved that original run of Secret Six. Through one issue here... Not digging it. Well, I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> I, yeah, I, again, it's a, it's a plot device we've seen how many times? Them all caged up and then they got to get to know each other and one of them's going to die and then there are the rest of them, whoever, they'll get a mission or some damn thing from there. And we've seen it too many times already. So as we've said, if it's going to be, something that we've seen a million times before, then it better damn well be really good and interesting. We got to care about these characters. We have to be invested in their interpersonal relationships from the get-go because they're obviously a team and things like that. None of that. I don't care about these people at all. I don't, their, their relationships together are really unimportant. I 
don't the only one I like is the crazy puppeteer woman. <laughs> She's kind of awesome. Her I like, but the rest of them are bland or egotistical characters, and I don't like how they mesh together at all. I mean, the art was spectacular. I'll say that much. But uh, my apologies to Gail. I'm really not digging this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our cast here is Catman, who was one of the central characters in the original. I don't want. I don't know. I don't even want to know if it was the original because I don't know if anything came before that. The previous run of Secret Six. We'll just go with that. Uh, Black Alice, who I'm familiar with. I've heard of her. Ventriloquist, who was a villain in uh, her Batgirl run. Uh, Big Shot and Porcelain. I have no idea who those two are. And interestingly, though, I'm kind of. In, curious as to how Strix ended up here. She was the uh, Talon that was in the Birds of Prey recently. So that that's of all the stuff that happened in this issue, that's the only thing I am even remotely interested in is what the hell is Strix doing here? Because aside from that, you, yeah, you just thrown together this weird experiment going on. Part of me was kind of reading those bits in Gladys's voice. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no more humanitarian warning. <laughs> but it's it's a lot of stuff going on, but throughout 22 pages, nothing really happened. I'd go so far as to say there's not a lot going on, period, eh? either. Well, the, Again, there were a, a lot of, of events. <laughs> not but even. None. It's a bunch of bad people shoved in a room together that start fighting amongst each other. That's, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the first issue. That's pretty weak. And... I again I just wasn't digging it. Yeah. So the the previous Secret Six just had a certain heart and a charm to it that despite the fact it was a similar scenario of these villains thrust together and they had to work work together as part of a team. Yeah, they they jabbed at each other, they were antagonistic, but it just it was written differently. You know, they, they came across they, they were some they were characters that you as a reader in one way or another could relate to. And you bonded with them over the course of this journey. Like even, you know, in one issue, like, yeah, they established the team. OK, these guys don't get along. But there was something special enough about it that you're like, OK, I'm interested in this. I want to continue reading. And then it was going along with that ride that I really enjoyed that comic. And I got none of this here. I'm really disappointed. Yeah. Because ever since they did the new 52, that was my one question. When is Gail Simone going to write the Secret Six again? And we got it. And I'm very upset. As for stuff I'm not upset about, though, <laughs> jumping into what we're reading, have you read any of The Amazing X-Men? I started reading them, like, initially when it started, and I got a, mm-hmm. a couple of the story arcs. But from the, the Wendigo one, I got behind, and so I thought, I'm going to put it off until for a little while, and then I'll go back and get caught up. So I'm way behind on them yeah. now. Well, the Wendigo one wrapped up last month or whatever. And it wasn't anything super amazing, but like it was just a really fun comic of, you know, character interactions and people we love to see, you know, and great artwork. But uh, issue 13, which came out a couple weeks ago, it's actually like just a little uh, one shot fill in issue written by James Tinian. Hmm. The first uh, writing he's done for Marvel. And I just I really enjoy this because since the X-Men have been around going back to the 60s, They've always been relatable to any number of people, you know, in minorities and you know, just disenfranchised. Like everybody has a certain 
thing that they can project upon the X-Men that that team represents to them just because of the way it's written. The, the general concept of the mutants are ostracized from the rest of society that it draws in a lot of people. And this one issue really hit upon a couple of different points with that. Uh, the issue centers around uh, Anoli, one of the students who kind of skips out on campus to go on a date. And there are two different teachers that are involved in a, you know, tracking him down, getting him back to school, but B also helping him just grow as a person because you have North star who's supporting him in this because uh, Anoli, we, I don't know if this was previous established. Like to me, it's the first time I found out that he's actually gay. So he's going on a date with another boy, but he's terrified because you know the guy's got lizard skin. Like he's, he's definitely one of the ugly mutants, which is what brings Nightcrawler into the story who knows all about being afraid of how you look. So it comes at this issue of, you know, not fitting into society from two very different directions and having North star and Nightcrawler cooperating together. It, it was actually really good for a one shot issue. I really enjoyed it. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we have all new ghost rider. Uh, the last couple issues, so much stuff has been going on with these issues with like the actual Ghost Rider and like the, the fighting and bringing in uh, Johnny Blaze and just all this craziness has been going on. And it's been good. Don't get me wrong, but it hasn't mattered because the core of this comic has always been Robbie's relationship with his little brother. How, you know, their parents aren't around. I think his mom died or something. And he's had to raise his little brother who is autistic, I think. They like, the kid, yeah, he's autistic as well as uh, in a wheelchair. Like he's he's not a healthy kid, but the relationship of the way Robbie has bonded with his little brother has definitely been the highlight of this entire run. So in the last couple issues where that relationship has faltered has been heartbreaking. And that's not to say like it's written poorly. It's written fantastically. And like issue eight, I was like, oh, that's rough. Issue nine, where they kind of resolve it and you see that the relationship has changed between the two characters. Absolutely fantastic writing. And then finally, Superior Foes of Spider-Man sadly ended a couple weeks ago. And I just cannot commend this comic enough for taking its premise and running with it. They've said, like the solicits that have come out every month have specified, not canceled yet. (laughs) (laughs) They they knew that despite how confident they were in their work, this is not the type of comic that's going to get terribly long run. Not a lot of people are going to buy it. The fact that it lasted 19 issues is astonishing to everyone involved because it just worked. It was just a fun comedy, you know, story of a group of villains, you know, comparing it to Secret Six, a group of villains and just the shenanigans they've been getting into. And it really fits because it kind of gives you that Hawkeye feeling. And I've ragged on a few comics over the past couple of years for trying to replicate Hawkeye because they're just looking at like the gags and, you know, the, the way it's written and the way it's drawn and replicating it without having the same feeling. Whereas Superior Foes gives you the same feeling, but it's not replicating it. They're doing it their own way. They're their own style. Their art is just as in, integral to Superior Foes as it is to Hawkeye. And the writing, Nick Spencer has been 
kind of a weird writer for me. Like he's always had some interesting concepts, but his actual writing I've never really enjoyed. <laughs> like every Nick Spencer comic I've read, the first issue I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. I could get along with this. And then by a certain point, I'm just like, okay, I, I can't continue with this. He nailed the writing in this comic. Uh, Steve Lieber did a great job with the artwork. And what's hilarious is knowing this was their last issue, the entire issue was just a bunch of running gags ragging on a bunch of TV shows in their last episodes. <laughs> making fun of Lost, making fun of Sopranos, making fun. <laughs> so it's, it was a great run. I really enjoyed this whole comic. And uh, I, I don't want to say I'm sad to see it go because I'm happy it lasted as long as it did. Yeah. Well, some of these do. You have to, to understand that they're not meant to last forever. No, it just comes out, you read it for a while, and then the story is done. Move on. Yeah, there, there's too much of that in comics yeah. of keeping something going just for the sake of keeping it going. Exactly. So for something to end and go out just as strong as it came in, I'm okay with that. Yep. All right, what have you got for us this week? Okay, well, I read uh, Angela, number one. I'm mm-hmm. assuming you did as well. I did. What did you think of it? Because you're far more into these characters than I am. I thought it was okay. Okay. Did it, like, it, it all made sense to you as well? Yes, it made sense to me. Okay. Like it, okay, I shouldn't say it that way because it makes me sound like a freaking dunce. It made sense <laughs> to me, but it but was... But you didn't understand the backstory. I didn't understand a lot of the backstory. And even though it's it's explained throughout the writing kind of thing, it still was not enough to grip me and to make me really care about getting issue number two. I don't know about you. Uh, As someone who does know the backstory, I was actually really into it. And it's, it's kind of a replication of uh, that opening issue of journey into mystery where it's very narration heavy. Like that's just a style that Gillen likes to use for his opening chapters. And I appreciate it. Like it worked. It wasn't anything amazing, but I liked it. Okay. And here's another example where we have several, a couple of different artists, because there's the main story and the sub story, they call it, with the flashback kind of things. And it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked really well. It was to the point where I got to the end and I was like, well, where's the sub story? (laughs) It it was was seamless. (laughs) It was very well done. It was, and it's not that they were similar styles at all. And it's just that 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 substory art style was a lot less um, contrast heavy and the, the, the lines were much more blended in, whereas the other one, it's more cartoony. No, I shouldn't say cartoony, but um, like you'd see in a traditional comic book with heavy black lines everywhere and the other one wasn't. It, I thought it came off really nice. But yeah. again, the story itself was not anything that I was that invested in it by the end of the first issue that I'd care if I read the second one or not. See, my big thing with this is, okay, we've seen Angela come in, be established, be a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now she's getting her own series. It's time to update that costume. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, no kidding. But how often we see that now? There's even one shot where, yes, it's a small shot, so you can attribute it to the artist just saying, I'm just going to put basic shapes. You don't really need to see what it is. But <laughs> Zoom in on it if you're looking at it on a tablet. It's basically she's walking through the desert, no pants on, no clothes. All you're seeing is her her button, and it's the same color. So it's like, <laughs> oh, come on. You didn't even try there. 
<laughs> Jesus, people. Um, I'm assuming you read that Captain America, the agent of uh, Peggy Carter, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that, that just came out, did it not? Hold on a second. Was that the, the Operation Sin thing or whatever? Uh, 2014? I don't know when it came out. No, I, I know there was stuff coming Sin. out. No. I just didn't know it was out now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Catherine Amonen, Ed Brubaker, Stan Lee, and Steve Englehart with John hmm. Warner. Yeah, crap load of writers on it. Um, well, yeah. Stan Lee and Steve Englehart are involved. I have a feeling there's some retro stuff in there. Yeah. Well, it's it's all retro. It's all oh. France 2043. Or not 2043, 1943. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and yeah, so it's all on Peggy and her relationship kind of working with Cap early on. And this is like Cap when he basically just started kind of thing. So this is the Cap that I really have no use for, for He's reading. He's not terribly interesting, no. He's terrible. He's cocky. He is flirtatious. He's um, he's just a pain in the butt. And, and like breaking a guy's job pretty much just to make it look real quote unquote and way way too flirty and sleazy smiley with with peggy and and this other woman it was yeah it was like ah i see this is the one i hate um in my mind if you're gonna write a good cap cap is see i i thought they nailed him in the avengers movie Joss nailed him there which coincidentally i watched again the other night and i hadn't seen it again for for quite a while and it was like it's still good and then that's the cap i like you know he's 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 serious he's good he, he's good with people but and that not quite the brightest but <laughs> but still a good guy and uh but yeah this was, so i didn't like cap and then peggy um she comes off as a real badass which is what you want in the character but also this really love struck kind of thing idea it just i i i kind of didn't enjoy it all that much yeah uh i'm assuming you read the uncanny deadpool number 38 with the uh the other x-men i'm still super behind on my reading i haven't read the latest deadpool yet okay i haven't been but then i saw this and it's a riff on an old x-men cover kind of thing but it's these uh I, i read issue 37 so yeah. So I'm just behind on generally reading anything that came out recently. Well, see, the thing with this is that, yet again, this is another Axis tie-in. Mm-hmm. So they're battling the North Korean sick X-Men are battling the evil now um, X-Men with Deadpool dressed and up in monk And they on evil with these X-Men. Too. Yeah, yeah. Some of the shots with Beast with those, he kind of looks like a, a gorilla with the fangs and everything uh pretty cool but the story as a whole yet again it's 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 that stupidity of they're bad now but we know they're good and they're fighting these other guys and and here's deadpool dressed up as a shaolin monk kind of thing with massive beads there were a couple of shots again that were that were really well done i'll give the artist that especially one where deadpool standing there with with alternate um Kurt and and Colossus and 
he kind of blindfolded himself so that he could fight without seeing because he's in the danger room and doesn't know what to trust. And everything that's going on around them is just the pencils. They ah. didn't ink it kind of thing. So it's a, it, it made for a really neat effect, actually. It's a really nice double panel spread. Really, really quite cool. The And then him and his, is that his wife or his girlfriend? The What's her face? Sheikla? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's his wife. Okay. See, again, shows you how much I've been watching. Oh, God, some utter stupidity there and fan service with him grabbing her ass. It's like, okay, whatever. So, yeah, I, I kind of read every few issues, not even every few, but whatever, even though you keep saying how awesome it is and it's like, nope. <laughs> I bring it up when there's something good. If I don't bring it up, then it's it's average. <laughs> yeah. Did you read The Last Chew? I still haven't read The Last Chew. God damn it, I want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, next week I'm talking about it, whether you read it or not. <laughs> So you will want to read it. Um, did you read The Last Justice League 3000 with Booster Gold and uh, Blue Beetle? No. I actually, issue 11 was the first issue of uh, that I've read in a long time. So I was like, I was actually really into that. I guess I jumped in at the right point kicking off this new story arc. So I'm actually really interested to read 12. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I've been praising this series, really praising it. But this Booster and Blue Beetle thing is not doing are you really surprised you hated a comic with booster gold in it yeah but we've seen him where i've enjoyed it not this not this at all plus while normally i absolutely adore the art which is done by who i can't remember anyways um the art here is it's all the same still and you have fantastic shots both of people as well as the landscape because it's that future setting and everything like that but man some of the shots of booster and blue beetle and this weird lip thing happening and that you'll when you read it you'll see what i mean look at their faces and it's like what the hell happened all of a sudden it's it's just the facial expressions are jacked up and stupid looking although the one shot (laughs) Of Wonder Woman, because they're like, where's Wonder Woman? And then they explain where, and she's blowing off some steam. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. You know, talk about psychotic looking. Christ. <laughs> so anyways, um, what's the other one I was I read? Oh, um, Autumn Lands. Yes. Did you read number two? I did. Still is good. Still, I'm still way impressed with this. I saw it coming spoiler yes, warning folks. absolutely like from from the minute they mentioned the champion i knew where they were going yeah but what's funny is that when you see that that two-page spread and it's a lion fighting mm-hmm. on a grasshopper yeah. <laughs> and you read the thing and i'm going okay i'm glad they didn't go with the obvious that they chose <laughs> this i mean a lion is still kind of obvious the king of the jungle kind of thing but uh but but I thought, okay, well, it'll still be good. Um, and then, no, not so much. Yeah, too much. Got to go with the obvious. Um, still, it was still good. It was still... Yeah, it, it's what you do with that obvious turn that's eventually going to matter. A, a little too much schlong. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, that I was not expecting. 
It was, it was a, little, a little too much, but some people would disagree with me, I'm quite certain. He's certainly a champion. Okay. Put it that way. Um, and the other thing is, just briefly, because I'll touch on it more once I'm finished, but I've only got uh, four more. I've been getting caught up on Powers Bureau because mm. I had fallen behind. Did you read them all? I, I think I missed the last couple. Okay. So, yeah, I'm working on those last few now, and I've gotten caught up. Now, I've talked about Powers in the past. And well, we both have, and just how much I love it. It's it's at times shocking. It, but it 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 it's not like it's trying to be shocking for the sake of shocking. Although maybe a few times, but for the most part, it's it's story driven. That's the point, and the characters stay true to who they are. So Pilgrim is shocking. But that's who she's always been, and it mm-hmm. always feels genuine to who the character is. And the pairing of Walker and Pilgrim has always been exceptional, and it continues to be in here. That said, the story thus far, and, and again, I still have a few left to finish, so we'll see how it ends off. But the story up until um, like issue eight kind of thing, it's... It's nothing spectacular. Yeah. In fact, it it kind of really, even though each issue is still good and fun to read, it feels like he's trying, Bendis is trying to drag out very simple concepts to fill an issue with because overall it's like you can compress everything that's going on pretty, in a lot less pages than this. And it just kind of, I don't know, I'm not, nearly as invested in this as I was in the previous Powers versions. No, I I, I agree. Yeah. So again, so it, it's good, but it's, it's not special. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I, I like I said, I still have some issues to read, um, but I, yeah, I was really not that invested at all. That, that's is, why I fell behind. I was keeping up with it for the first like six, seven, eight issues. And I was just like, eh, uh, I'll get around to it. Yeah, which is really disappointing considering, like, the art is as good as it ever has been. The characters are still as engaging. Even new characters that are brought in are still fun to read and engaging. The writing is as tight in terms of dialogue and things like that. And even the the interpersonal relationships between all the characters. It's just the story is, it. I don't know if it's that, he's been doing it too long now and there's only so much story you can do or if it's just that this story wasn't planned out well enough it's just not nearly engaging enough for me Mm -hmm. so and that's it all right then so for some of our new releases this week marvel brings us amazing spider-man number 11 really excited to continue spider-verse amazing spider-man annual number one which actually isn't a spider-verse issue it's just a regular spider-man story well that's lame yeah. Amazing X-Men 13, which I think is wrong. I think it's supposed to be 14. Sorry. Uh, Axis number seven. Guardians of the Galaxy annual number one. Rocket Raccoon number six. So remember last week when I told you I was going to surprise you with the new direction they're going with Wolverine and the X-Men? Okay. This week we have issue number one of Spider-Man and the X-Men. No. He is the new guidance counselor. <laughs> And it's a new writer, too. It's 
I, I forget his name off the top of my head, but I've never, I'm not familiar with him. So it's not Jason Latour continuing. That is awesome. Oh, I really, when we both agreed, Latour was not doing a good job with Will Venus Beeps. Like, I mean, the moment Aaron stopped writing, writing it, it showed and it was, I did not dig it at all for the most part. Mm-hmm. So that sounds friggin' awesome. Although tentative because the the one of the preview pages I saw like had him, you know, in the classroom writing his name on the board. Spider-Man forgot the hyphen in his own name. God. I don't know if that was a mistake or if it's part of the story, <laughs> but Spider-Man should not be mis- misspelling his own name. <laughs> Who uh, is doing the art? I Again, I don't have that in front of me, but... Okay. There's only right. a few that it matters. Anyways, and Greg Land's already busy <laughs> with something else, so we should be safe. <laughs> yeah, it's not Greg Land, I can tell you that much. Preview pages look pretty good. Cool. Uh, we also have Thor number three, Uncanny X-Men Annual number one, and X-Force number 13. From DC, uh, just a couple I'm interested in this week. We have Batgirl number 37, Batman Eternal number 36, and Constantine number 20. From Image, uh, Kelly Sue launches her new series today with Bitch Planet number one. What the hell we was have that? <laughs> go with it. All right, I will. <laughs> that is making a statement, is what that is. No kidding. That is. We awesome. have East of West, the world, which is actually a one shot that's just kind of delving into the backstory of Hickman's weird ass America, which I'm actually really interested to see. We also have Sex Criminals number nine and Southern Bastards number six. Yeah, so that's Image's lineup this week. Bastards Southern Bastards, Sex Criminals, and Bitch Planet. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. You're doing it right. <laughs> Dark Horse brings us Prometheus, Fire, and Stone number four. From IDW, we have Dungeons & Dragons, Legends of Baldur's Gate number three, Samurai Jack number 15, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 41. And then from Valiant, we have the first issue of their big crossover miniseries with The Valiant number one. So that's going to wrap us up here this week at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And so Roger doesn't yell at me, I'm going to remind you that uh, our Big Hero 6 episode is up at popcornronin.com, uh, talking about the movie and comparing it to the comic. So check that out if you're interested. So until next week, thanks for listening. I'll yell at you. What's the matter with you? It's just me. You just use your disappointed dad voice. That's far more effective. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.